to be with you. Welcome back to the Jewish Growth Podcast. This is Rabbi Ken Brodkin. As I'm recording today, we are just a few days out from Purim and reading the Megillah. And last year at this time, I was recalling, I had a congregant friend of mine in Portland, Oregon, who was applying to residency following medical school. And he confided in me how deeply he wanted to get accepted into a particular residency program. He made every effort possible to get accepted. And he just shared the anxiety of waiting for an answer and a sense that he may feel crushed if plans did not materialize. And we talked about the challenge of living, thriving, even when we have doubts hanging over our heads, as we often do. Now, the interesting thing is that looking back today, a year later, he was not accepted into the program he wanted to get into, in fact. But he was matched with a different residency program in a different part of the country, That situation had some unique challenges, but as far as I know, he is thriving. And so here's the story of a person who wanted to see his life unfold in one way at a particular hospital. It was something that was important to him, but it didn't happen. And we all have ideas about what things should look like or how they should develop in our family, our careers, our personal life. And whether or not things go our way, here is an important thing to consider. As Jews, we believe that there is a God who is involved in our lives. Just like God's hand guides the events of our national history, so too God's hand guides the events of our personal life story. And sometimes events happen that we do not control or choose. And so how do we interpret them? I Oftentimes I hear people asking something like, what's the message that God's sending me? So with events, large or small, that unfold in our lives, how are we supposed to interpret things? Is there a reason my friend ended up in a different residency program than he desired? When something happens in our lives, should we gander a guess at what God's message is to us? Our rabbis teach us that we read Esther on Purim for Pirsume Nisa, to publicize the miracles of that period of Purim. And this is an amazing thing, because although the Jewish people were spared destruction, there's no open miracles in the book. There's no single moment that we can point to and say, this is a miracle. The miracles are there, but only because we choose to see them. We interpret the book, the Megillah, as a culmination of many minor miracles leading to the redemption of Israel. What does this book of miracles teach us about interpreting our own personal life trajectory? Megillus Esther comes at the end of Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible. And in the big picture of Tanakh, Israel is a nation in a covenant with God. We were forced, we were formed, I should say, in, in, in the crucible of slavery and redeemed. And God nourished us after the exodus in the wilderness for 40 years until we crossed the, jar, the yard in the Jordan River and built the base of Mikdash, the temple. And eventually there was sin and destruction and the Jewish people were exiled to, to Bavl, Babylonia. And then Babylonia fell, and Madai, Persia, took the reins as the regional superpower. Now most of the Jews, including Mordecai, are now living in the city of Shushan. Haman arises and decrees destruction for the Jewish people. Well, how did our people feel at that time? They must have been asking themselves, where is that relationship with God? Within the Megillah itself, the details are tantalizing. How can this be happening as the Megillah teaches us? Ve'ayir Shushan Nevocha, the Jews of Shushan were bewildered. So while the Megillah 
unfolds in a greater context of Jewish history. Those actual days of Haman's decree were bleak. What is the message of this part of the biblical canon? Now, according to the Vilna Gon, the Megillah points us to a timeless lesson. In the story, there is a threat of destruction and deliverance. And yet, so many things are happening in the background. Mordechai happens to be in Shushan. Vashti gets tossed out of the palace. Esther gets chosen as queen. Oh, and by the way, Mordecai overhears a plot to kill Achishverosh and thwarts it, and that gets recorded in a book that is sitting in the palace. And so there's a combination of politics, blind luck, and fate that spell the saving of the Jewish people. And when you live through every small detail, it's impossible to see what's happening. But when you stand back, all of the details are pointing in one direction. Even in the harsh exile, Israel is God's people. To explain this, the Vilna Gon points us to a passage in the Talmud, the Gemara Nechulim, which asks, Esther Minatara Minayan, where do we find Esther in the Torah? In other words, the Talmud is asking, where the Torah alludes to Esther, a woman who obviously lived many generations after the Torah. In answering that question, the Talmud quotes a fascinating verse in Devarim. It says, I shall surely have concealed my face on that day. The Torah is speaking about this. It's talking about a time of future exile. And the implication of this verse is that although God will always be present in the life of our nation, at times God's face will be concealed And there is a connection between that verse and Esther, because the words haster astir, I shall surely conceal, share the same root as the word Esther. Both of these words come from the root Hester. In other words, the name Esther means concealment. And so Esther, the woman who helped bring redemption in a time of concealment, is alluded to in that very verse. But the Vilna Gon is bothered by the Talmud's question. Esther in the Torah Minayan. Where is Esther alluded to in the Torah? Why would the Talmud search for a hint to Esther of all people in the Torah? There's plenty of tzaddikim, plenty of great people in history. Why search for her? And the Gon posits that the Gemara is asking a deeper question. Where do we find a source for a person like Esther? How do we know that even in times of hiddenness, God will perform miracles as he did for her. And the answer lies in this verse, Anochi haster aster, I will surely hide my face. Yes, there is painful hester concealment, and yet there still is Anochi, there still is I, God. God's presence is still very much with us. And the greatness of Mordecai and Esther is that they stayed focused on that bigger picture. Our rabbis teach us they lived through all the details in the Megillah story over nine long years. And amidst it all, they never lost sight of God's relationship with the Jewish people. And what's more, the very composition of the Megillah and its inclusion in Tanakh is an affirmation of Jewish belief in the hand of God. The Jewish people, especially leaders like Mordecai and Esther, stood back from this nine-year saga and they said, this is the hand of God. Now, often we live in times of concealment. We don't know how things will work out. When Mordecai and Esther called a three-day fast and sought to meet the king, they didn't know exactly where things were going to go. On the other hand, as Mordecai told Esther, one way or another, 
Rabach Lahatzalah Yamod Yehudim, relief and deliverance will come to the Jewish people. So as we read the Megillah, we may not know exactly why one particular event happens the way it does. You can't read through it while Vashti is being dethroned and try to interpret why. And likewise, the meaning of God's providence is not readily available to us while we live our lives, while our lives unfold. When we don't get into the medical school we want or the promotion we desire doesn't come about, we just can't necessarily know why. And life really does have unexpected plot twists. I actually have a dear friend in Portland who unfortunately was diagnosed with ALS last year. And I talk about an incredible challenge. And yet I was talking to him on the phone about a week ago and he shared with me how every single morning he wakes up and he says the Psuke de Zimra, the verse of praise before shock, at the beginning of chakras. He talked to me about the gratitude that he feels while davening those psukim in, in the morning davening. That's such a approach to life that we should all learn from. But the underlying message of the Megillah is that there is a relationship between the Jewish people and God. Even in exile, through the random occurrences, there's a guiding hand bringing us to Geula, to redemption. And that's an idea that we can apply to our lives. When you strive in your career, something doesn't work out, or you you show up to a, a family event and something goes wrong, we can't say why it happened. We're not prophets, but we can go back to that bigger picture of our lives. And just like this incredible, beautiful universe that we live in has a creator and a guide, so to our lives have a creator and a guide. And so instead of trying to make a specific interpretation of an event that occurs in our lives, instead what we should try to do is just stand back and feel and see God's presence in our bigger story. Think about your bigger story. Where do you see God's hand? And that's really an enduring theme of the Megillah. God is with us even when we cannot point to it specifically with our finger. The Megillah, in fact, went to such a crazy extreme to just leave the name of God out. Even when Esther commands Mordecai to gather the people for three days of fasting, the verse makes zero mention of prayer or God or repentance. The Megillah acts like fasting is some kind of secular ritual, which obviously it's not. And so why does the Megillah do this? The answer is that there's so much that's unspoken in the Megillah. And there's, that's an, there's an unspoken truth in life. The hand of God that brought about the redemption, that brought Esther to the palace, will bring about the redemption of Israel. And while the verses don't spell out God's name explicitly, the totality of the Megillah is the name of God. And so in our national life, in our personal life, the details, the doubts can overwhelm us, but then there's that bigger picture. And so over the days of Purim, Take time to read through the Megillah. You can read it on your own time, read it in English or whatever language works for you. But as you do that, consider the details of the Megillah. Meditate upon it. Reflect on God's hidden hand in the life of the Jewish people. And then, from that vantage point, stand back and ask yourself, where do you discern the hidden hand of God in the Megillah of your life? Thanks for being with me. I'm Ken Brodkin, and this is the Jewish Growth Podcast.